You are listening to 3CR podcast of Encyclopedia. Encyclopedia is a broadcast live every Sunday from 2 p.m. For more information, head to 3cr.org.au. This is Encyclopedia on a Sunday afternoon on a much um, cooler and slightly wetter day than it was yesterday. Um, but yesterday was Listen Out, one of the um, first big uh, inner city uh, festivals, out, inner city outdoor festivals for the season uh, down in St Kilda at Katani Gardens. And there was a little bit of concern following um, last week's, was it last weekend or the weekend before? Um, it was uh, last weekend. With DEFCON. DEFCON, yeah. Yes. Uh, a little bit of concern because two people died and a number of people were hospitalised, but, um, of course, there's different substances that go around different places as well. That's the nature of these things. And um, uh, the police were out with sniffer dogs at... Uh, at um the gates of Listen Out uh, doing that operation. number of arrests were made. We'll get to it in the news in a tick, but uh, uh, we haven't heard of any health incidents. But there were other significant differences, were, and maybe we'll discuss a bit well, of that. There, there were 30 people arrested there. I actually went down to uh, monitor the police operation for a few hours, so I got to see how they worked. They had three sniffer dogs there. They had two units from the uh, public order response uh, unit, so the, I don't know, the more hardcore-looking cops. The riot squad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, sort of looking a bit riot squatty. And, um, I mean, we can get into it a bit, like, now or or later, but, you know, there were certain behaviours that I I sort of saw from people outside of the the event. Um, I wasn't the only person there watching the operation. There was a Channel 7 crew there, a journalist from... a student journalist from RMIT Mm -hmm. was also filming it. So there's a bit more interest. I was there monitoring the operation last year as well, and it was... um, it was certainly a bit more low key in terms of the scrutiny of the police last year compared to this year. So we'll get let's get stuck into it in just a tick. Before we get stuck into it, um, I'm I'm looking at the wall over here at the uh, uh, promotion for Pick My Project, and uh, Pick My Project is a state government initiative uh, where they're giving uh, out uh, essentially grants to community organisations for. Uh, community projects. You get to say what your project is and um, and then people get to vote for it. Uh, now, I'm just checking. Yes, you can still vote. Now, checking... Oh, no. Checking project votes received during the public voting period uh, till the 17th of September. We are past that, so unfortunately you can't vote. But 3CR did, uh, did enter it um, for a grant of $100,000 to up- upgrade the accessibility uh, here. Um, we have a lot of stairs. <laughs> we have a lot of uh, awkward corners. And um, I, I still don't think it's possible to get the upstairs accessible without putting in a lift, really. Um, and that's very expensive. More than $100,000, unfortunately. But uh, at least a lot of the downstairs space could be made accessible so we'll keep our eye on that and see what happens with that um also i I should just quickly say in the studio with me ash blackwell (laughs) hi (laughs) i I kind of jumped on before i was introduced (laughs) yeah no no that's all right Uh, just a slow introduction and also sitting across from me we have a special guest uh jared um now jared i I wasn't sure you wear a few different hats um which one would you like to be introduced under today i i think candidate for albert parks probably the best one uh, so you are running in the election in November for the Reason Party, formerly mm-hmm. the Australian Sex Party, and um, you've got uh, well, well, what's across your your platform? Like, what, what sort of issues are you going to be? 
for, for, for Albert Park, well, I'm very against the, the sniffer dog operations in the area. Uh, very much running on a platform of drug law reform, legalization of cannabis, uh, a safe injecting facility in St Kilda. It's desperately needed in that area. And, and generally just changing our, our current approach to, to drugs, which I'm excited to talk about today. And we will get to um, a particular issue that's uh, raised up with the with the TGA, the Therapeutics Goods Administration, our, our grand overlords of regulation <laughs> in this country, or uh, a certain kind of regulation anyway. Um, but we will get stuck into some uh, news now. And psychedelia news of the week. I don't condone or advocate that everyone should use illicit drugs. I think it's a, a huge decision made with the right amount of research and forethought. The intention is to discourage ICE use. The actual effect is it encourages the stigmatisation of people who use this drug. The risk there is people are less likely to disclose their use even when they're experiencing some issues, so they're less likely to access essential health services. The potential for harm increases. People feel hesitant to be open about who they are because they're afraid of judgment from family members or people at work or, or just people in society in general. Many of them have conservative mindsets regardless of their politics uh, and will just say, oh well, then the, the, the government are not looking after us and therefore it seems a law and order issue rather than a, a social problem that needs to be dealt with on, on a yeah, I think I'll, I'll jump in from a bit of a different spot here um, this time. There's something that's bothered me about a lot of the reporting from DEFCON 1 is this figure that's been quoted in some of the conservative press of 700 people seeking medical assistance. Mm. Um, there's a person, I haven't got their permission to use their name, but they've posted a public um, Facebook post, uh, somebody that was there, and just kind of got a bit ragey about the fact that that their identity and address that was collected in the medical tent for purposes of seeking uh, seeking medical support for something completely unrelated to any drug use. I don't think they were using uh, drugs at the event. Um, and, and they were a bit, you know, they were a bit outraged by the fact that their their statistics had gotten wrapped into this figure of 700, you know, and same with the person that was sitting next to them getting a Band-Aid at the time. One thing about the event, and, you know, some of this could be considered a legitimate consider uh, uh, criticism of the festival promoters, was that it was very hot and it was very dusty. Apparently they sold out of, like, some um, non-alcoholic beverages quite early in the event, so some of that side of it perhaps could have been managed better. But um, a, a lot of the feedback that we were getting, even even you know last week when we we're trying to figure out if we if we had any idea what substances might have been there, if there was anything that we should be concerned about in the illicit drug market, you know there or perhaps mix you know spreading around the country, and so you know that seven hundred figure is is way off base. Um, when similar reporting came out at Rainbow Serpent in 2017, there was a, I think it was the director of Colbro Medical, the medical provider there, clarified those st statistics that were being used by the police to, to kind of make this impression of um, more people seeking treatment for drug-affected uh, conditions than were actually there. And the figure at Rainbow Serpent was only 5% of the medical attendees were for uh, drug-related 
reason. Yeah. Mm. I, I mean, don't forget, people at festivals also stub toes, stand on broken things when they take their shoes off yeah. to have a dance or they fall over because they're having a bit more of a dance and they twist their ankle. All sorts of things happen, just like happens at... The it, football, at the show, at the wherever you happen to be. And it would be interesting to compare uh, those sort of stats to something like, you know, the football or something like that. I'm sure any large oh, event. Actually, I had a fun one. This was a few years ago now, but um, I'm, I'm sure it's still pretty relevant. Um, the number of people that need to attend emergencies, so the number of young people that need to attend an emergency after Saturday morning sport in the Bellarine region, which is down Geelong way, mm. um, is far more than, uh, I, I, than all of the drugs combined um, who need to see that area. So what we need to do is ban uh, Little League sports uh, <laughs> because it's injuring children and it's 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 just clogging up the emergency rooms on a Saturday morning. Uh, but this is, you know, this is the kind of thing when you want to be facetious, facetious with uh, statistics. Um, on Thursday, Thursday, yes, Thursday was the 20th of September, uh, which over the past few years has been come to be celebrated as 9.20 day. Uh, you might recognise a little bit of similarity between 4.20. 9.20 is put together by a, a group of uh, activists in the US, uh, 9.20 being their date convention, so 20th of September is September the 20th, uh, to celebrate mushrooms, psilocybin mushrooms broadly and... Uh, there were there were a number of celebrations around the world, uh, ranging from movie screenings. Um, I believe uh, Paul Stamets, the um, mycologist, was doing a movie screening and like a book signing and a talk in California. Uh, and in Sydney, the Australian Psychedelic Society uh, have. I think it's on today, or was it yesterday? It's today, yeah. It is today. Um, I think eight speakers, a number of speakers speaking um, across various different uh, issues, including telling their own stories of experiences. Um, I think they've got some science-y people there. Um, I think there is... Oh, there, there's a range of people there, and we'll uh, hopefully get some info from that soon. But, uh, yeah, uh, 920 day happened on Thursday. <laughs> We don't always have good news, but I like to talk about it when we do. There's some Labor ministers in the Australian Capital Territory up there in Canberra that are considering supporting a push by uh, Labor backbencher Michael Pedersen, who will be, uh, I think he did introduce on this Wednesday, um, a, a bill for legalising cannabis for personal use. Uh, he stated that about 60% of the drug arrests in the ACT are for cannabis consumers, and that is a waste of police resources, something that regular listeners to this show will mm -hmm. know well. Um, and the Health Minister, Megan Fitzharris, would not rule out supporting the bill as it was reported in the Canberra Times earlier this week. It'd be very interesting to see if that bill does get up because, um, you know, the, the Commonwealth could intervene if there is a cannabis legalisation bill in the ACT if it was to pass. So it would be interesting to see how the federal government would respond if that ended up passing. Well, I think that um, I don't have an article here in front of me, but just a bit of an update on um, pill testing or drug checking in Canberra. There was a proposal to... Uh, run another service at Spilt Milk uh, in mm. November this year after the successful trial at Groove and the Moo. And um, the, we've had the same problem with the uh, National Capital Authority, which uh, oversees a lot of the, the land. Commonwealth in, land, um, yeah. Commonwealth land in the ACT. And they have ruled it out. Now, there's a discussion about 
potentially some way to facilitate a service happening outside of that land. But I think that maybe that's some indication there of uh, how the federal government I, might I think it was being described as a... Um, uh, finding the borders issue, literally looking on the map, getting a surveyor out, finding which are the exact points of uh, Commonwealth and then territory, uh, and, and setting up there. Uh, so it could it could be that tedious um, if they want to do it. But uh, yeah, and the national uh, from uh, the people that were pushing for this, the the thing that the point that they were trying to make was the national capital authority is meant to be there as sort of a like infrastructure, look after those sorts of things, and shouldn't be intervening on these sorts of policy issues of which they have no particular expertise. I'm sure they haven't intervened in any other health intervention <laughs> at yeah. all in any place, yeah. uh, and it's just this particular one. Yeah, um, there is also a rally uh, happening in Canberra uh, in support of pill testing on October sixth, uh, Saturday. Uh, so, geez, is that next Saturday? No, it must be the Saturday after couple of weeks away uh, with Reason ACT, the Australian Progressive and the Smashed Avocado Movement. <laughs> oh, millennials. Uh, joining forces uh, to, for a protest rally um, in support of pill testing at Spilt Milk. Uh, and they'll have a few speakers there still to be announced. Um, yeah, there's still a few a few people to be announced, but basically one person from every organisation mentioned. Uh, it's in Garima Place. I don't know the ACT very well, so I imagine it's somewhere central. Uh, if you want to find out about it, uh, Canberra Rally in support of pill testing on Facebook, and we'll share that to the Facebook group. Uh, hey, we should probably talk about the Listen Out yesterday. So you were there. Yeah, so I was there, yeah. yeah. Um, so... I mean, like we, we've spoken about it several times on the show. We know the kinds of behaviours that these sniffer dog operations drive. There's a there's a greater likelihood of people preloading, um, panic consumption, which can contribute to uh, critical incidents or fatalities. We know that particularly young people are more likely to purchase drugs inside the event from people that they don't know, which has a range of risk factors. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I, I mean, I saw some of these things in play like people that i spoke to uh you know off the record just just hanging out around the front of the the um the the entry for the event and um <clears throat> you know they, they i think last year they only had two dogs so they it definitely had the appearance of them scaling up their operation and um you know i, I just think it's disappointing that we're we're still walking blindly in this uh, really crazy direction as if it's going to achieve some kind of public health benefit. Particularly coming off from, from last weekend and kind of knowing the repercussions of, you know, increasing policing in an area, not allowing harm reduction interventions in an area. Rather than learn that lesson, it seems like they've just scaled up things. Yeah, I mean, there's. I haven't heard much word yet about how the police were conducting themselves within the festival grounds, but more information has come through from DEFCON, and um, it seems like the police were basically running a surveillance operation on a store there that was selling reagent kits, yes. and then following people, searching them. Um, oh so they're actually uh, actively intervening in people trying to participate in their own harm reduction practices. And then there was the question of the medical tent. Mm. Um, there were several people that have um, spoken about the the heavy presence of police in, at the entrance to the medical tent. Now, it's hard to know without all the facts what their reason for being there was. Maybe there was an agitated person that they escorted there or, you know, some other legitimate reason that they could be there 
but several people have said that they saw them there pretty consistently throughout the festival, which doesn't seem to be in line with, you know, mm. how they would normally kind of operate um, at that that kind of event. And, you know, there, there have been incidents where people have been dissuaded from seeking medical care by the intimidating police presence. So it's certainly something that, that pops up and that they should be aware of, uh, you know, in a medical precinct, how that their, their role, and especially the way that they were... Um, you know, I feel like New, New South Wales police are a lot more intimidating than Victoria police. Yeah, and, they, yeah. and they try to be. It's, you know, that's that's a deliberate sort of um, strategy. And and on the uh, police following people that were getting uh, reagent testing kits in New South Wales at mm. DEFCON, um, we read it. There were a few reports of that. I, I mean, anecdotes from people on Facebook comments, but, like, I don't think people are going to necessarily lie about that sort of thing. I think they're just telling their truth but actually actively acting as a barrier for, for harm reduction absolutely so it's not just so i think it's different in victoria as far as we know that sort of thing was not happening inside uh there were services provided inside that were uh you know that were providing harm reduction and um there's a lot more uh cooperation i think between mm. the service providers uh in victoria at least that's from from what i've seen from what i've heard um while in new south wales it seems to be actively headbutting it's all about sending this message I'm yeah, not I'm not sure. Drugs, yeah, like I've done a few New South Wales festivals, like kind of working in harm reduction or volunteering at, uh, you know, uh, welfare services and, and stuff. And I mean, there was one that I'm thinking of um, last year where they had a heavy operation on the way in with uh, sniffer dogs and all the all the normal nonsense and a heavy operation on the way out with the drug buses and all of that sort of stuff. There was actually a police command centre set up in the festival, which I think they popped their head in once. So in terms of if there actually was an incident at a festival where there was over 10,000 people, the the police weren't actually there to respond to, to any kind of real incident. Um, mm. They were only concerned with people's you know, entry and exit from the festival, which, which the theatre—that's what they want. They want yeah, this theatre, well, and the and the stats. Yeah, you know, we well, gotta, yeah, we got to run up some drug stats. Which um, have we spoken about the New South Wales drug oh, stats? Yeah, yet? I think we mentioned a few weeks ago. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the double counting. Yeah, yeah. So just in case anybody isn't up to speed on that, the um, uh, New South Wales—I uh, don't think it was the police; it was the Boscar, crime. Sta- yeah, the Bureau crime statistics, something, statistics agency something. or something. Yeah, mm. they were double counting a lot of um, drug crime stats, and so you know yeah, when we're yeah. kind of talking oh. about you know buffering up the stats, that's that's one of the ways where that's that's happened. Hmm. Oh, there it is. It's stoner <laughs> sloth. Oh, New South Wales police. <laughs> It's just a bit so past the salt. Uh, sorry. Um, can I have a news that's not news, but it's kind of funny anyway? So the Batuta Advocate, for those who don't know, is a satirical online publication. It's not real. Um, but uh, And there was an article at Friday Arvo, bloke who just found a needle in his schooner keeps very quiet. Um, and it's just saying, you know, he's had a long day and he found the needle and he just took it out because, you know, he doesn't want to... Anyway, somebody gets in the comments section on Facebook and says, I'm calling 100% BS on this one. None of it adds up, even in the slightest. Sorry, guys, but this article has just made me unfollow you. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, yeah, and then I like there's a there's a gif here with uh, 
Superman and the joke flying over his head. Was it um, was it the Batuta advocate that did that great one, which was about uh, like New South Wales premier bands music that you can take drugs to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Batuta as well. Um, that was uh, in the past week. I mean, they're, they're pretty they do onto well. it. They nice. do well. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think they've got a travelling show actually coming down to oh. to Melbourne. Oh yeah, they soon. might be here for the Fringe. Yes, yeah, something like that. Um, but, yeah, uh, just thought that was uh, that was funny. Um, <laughs> Uh, anger at police tactics and oh gosh and sorry i'll just mention this one but i'm not going to get into it i'm i've felt bad for even sharing it on facebook but sometimes you know don't give your opponent air kind of thing but sometimes it's hard to not um but um uh troy grant who i believe is the former police minister now i think Uh he's done um but he wrote a piece for the sydney morning herald um just talking about how drug prohibition is is for your health and safety and that's why they're prohibited because they're dangerous and that it's really bad that people want to do things like pill testing because he's had to visit so many families um and tell them that their children have died and and what you want to you want to normalize drug taking and then more people die he, he didn't actually come up with a solution either no. he he just he he said that he wasn't happy with harm reduction as a solution realized that current initiatives weren't working and that was the article like Mm. it was a very bizarre perspective to put out there look my opinion of troy grant is that he's the dimmest minister in the country (laughs) like there's yeah not not much going on there he said some very uh absurd things over his tenure as police minister yeah um fearful it comes from a space of fear i get that people Mm. i I get that people respond like that they they understand there's this thing out there drugs and that a takes over people and controls them and then they kill themselves but they don't even realize they're doing it and that's the narrative right but, but that's that's not the it, most people who take drugs don't have that narrative it's also the perspective of a country copper like he was a police <laughs> officer in dubbo and right. so that's that's the perspective that he's coming from Dubbo. what does crime look like in Dubbo and how do the police respond to crime in Dubbo and was, that's, was Dubbo that's involved with that whole um, thing that happened in Grafton wasn't it all across a bit regional New South Wales about 30 40 years ago um, there was a big a uh, lot of um, corruption going on around um, cannabis there was a lot of corruption going on right through New South, South Wales police I actually is. revisited the Woods Royal Commission just a couple of weeks back to reread mm. some of it but that that policing culture, that kind of the that viewpoint of police around drugs. I mean, in some ways, it is understandable because, of course, they're viewing the worst possible outcomes yep. for people who use drugs. Yep. And so you can understand how, if that has been your only encounter with it, without seeing you know people who just use recreationally fine and you know don't have these these repercussions. I can understand how you can get that mindset. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that we should be citing it as authority, as a lot of journalists do. Mm. <laughs> they will always get a police comment and then, you know, an expert in drug policy who would say something different. Um, yeah, it, it's a it's an understandable perspective, but not a defendable one. Mm. Yes, uh, yeah. that's a very good way to put it. And a few people brought that up uh, at Johan Hari. So yeah, that was the other big thing that happened this week. Thursday night, Johan Hari, uh, author of Chasing the Scream, but also author of a new book, which is... Uh, depression i can't remember the full title uh no no i'm just looking for people that might remember it he's got a new book as well but it was here to talk about drugs with uh, drug policy oh, chasing the screen yes chasing the screen was the the uh second recent one and then he's had a more recent one um oh that i can't remember lost connections lost connections uh, thank it's, you it's about depression about um, depression yes um 
So he was here. It was at Melbourne Town Hall with Drug Policy Australia. A number of agencies set up there, uh, and it was a, a very rousing. He's look. He's a very very entertaining speaker. He's a storyteller. He's not an expert in these things, but he has spoken to a lot of people and he relays their story um, with authenticity. I guess is that the right word? It's he he relays them nicely. Um, and one of the things uh, that he raised was not like to remember that those who are vehemently against drugs very upset with. drugs drugs uh, are not they're not ne- we're not necessarily coming at this from completely different directions although we might see differently on the drugs in mm. the end everybody just wants people to be safe and happy and blah 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 mm. all the normal stuff that you want for humanity so um, just to remember that that you can find common ground I can't remember the full anecdote um, I was hoping to to pull it up but we have a few uh, vox pops um, that we did after the uh, after the show uh, on Thursday night that we'll play uh, shortly but before we get to that I wanted to play um, for some formidable vegetable sound system from their radish beats album it's a remix album that you can get for free and i'll post the link again on uh i'm excited for this <laughs> social media <laughs> facebook uh in psychedelia um and this is format uh, formidable vegetable sound system yield regedvitated that's their fault uh this is in psychedelia on 3cr Vegetable sound system with yield regevitated. <laughs> Not revegetated, I promise you, it says it right here in front of me. Uh, and that is from an album that they have released for free. All you have to do is share it on Facebook, and you can find that by heading to the Encyclopedia Facebook page. Uh, if that's hard to spell for you, go to the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au, follow the links to the Encyclopedia program page, and you can find our social media there. Uh, now, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Johan Hari was on Thursday night at the Melbourne Town Hall. Uh, following the uh, performance, I went and spoke to some people to find what their biggest takeaway message was from Johan's talk, and here's a number of the responses. We have to be kinder to to people who use drugs because there are underlying issues often associated with mental health issues and it's just, it's awful the way they're treated. So it's a, a humanity thing. Yeah, drug policy is shifting in Australia and it's exciting. I guess the, the connection and the belonging and, um, yeah, a lot of stuff. Look, uh, a lot of the Rat Park um, conversation um, that, yeah, addiction, there's a lot of that underlying factors of... If there's connection and belonging, and like, what is addiction? If that, if uh, people do have that in life, like, is it? Yeah, there's more to it than just going shooting up and whatever else. There's all that underlying trauma and whatever else. So, yeah, that's so, yeah. All right, sweet. Awesome. Oh, thank, yeah, thank you. That I suppose a lot of this still needs to be discussed. All these topics still sort of need to be discussed because there are people out there who might not know. Um, we all work in drug and alcohol, so it's very poignant for us and it's prominent in our minds, but there are people out there who might not. I really enjoyed a lot of what he had to say, but I found some of the leaps that he made a little bit concerning, and I think there needs to be a bit more discussion around that. Hey, zero tolerance doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, it's kind of... Um, 
it's hard because I understand the whole concept behind the change and the need for the compassionate change and but it's just it's hard to see how that's going to be possible I think in this society so that's kind of I feel hopeful but I also feel a little bit disenchanted by the common yeah understanding of the situation connection connection we're pretty oh, I can't swear if it's going to be on radio yeah, we're pr- well we're pretty screwed and um, just at the end when he was talking about kids children we've got to look after them more than just keep them away from drugs we've got to look after their connection to their parents and to society you know village uh, I guess the main takeaway was that um, given that there's an election coming up we should maybe be targeting right wing politicians more than we might have originally thought it was worthwhile doing uh, look um, at the end of the day I yeah, I guess I just uh, completely agree with what he has to say about uh, the war on drugs. Uh, I believe it's a draconian uh, system that uh, damages our society um, immeasurably and that, yeah, we can do a better job. So, yeah, it inspires me to, to get out there and um, speak to more people about it and uh, try to inspire a few. Um, yeah, uh, I think also that... Um, by looking at people's trauma and things like that instead of saying that they have a problem of addiction, you know, um, focusing on connecting with people, um, that can actually be um, a way to solve the problem. So, yeah, thank you. Awesome. <laughs> Obviously, to legalise drugs. To legalise. To, to legalise them, yeah. Yep. Yeah, so I'm sort of, yeah, I know people that been addicted to drugs and I just think the community's view is very ignorant at the moment and you know my son wants to be treated like a human being exactly. and he's got a, every right to be but in this day and age right now that that's not happening he needs compassion. Things, yeah, I hope things change for your son. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming tonight. Thank you. Look, a lot of his key messages there I found were really important, but that's stuff that I kind of uh, have been exposed to before. But what I really liked is one of the last questions in the Q&A that was talking more about the education system and different ways that we can approach it from that perspective. Uh, personally, there's um, a lot of drug use within my family that's impacted a lot of the younger generations pretty severely, and I think that that's a pretty important step to take to start looking at how we can reconcile the um, impacts on the younger generation. So that was probably my biggest takeout. Um, mine's not going to be quite so articulate because I'm not that intelligent. Um, but it, his studies are that he was talking about Rat Park, you know, the, the rats that are in Rat Park, they like very, very minimal chance that they're going to go for the cocaine water. My theory was like, okay, let's like base everything on making a human park. Like, what's our human park? What do we need? Like, you know, what the rats have got like all these amazing things to play with. They're happy, they're fulfilled, they're satisfied. They've got meaning in their life. You know, like, let's, let's base this on human park. Let's write down human park on a bit of paper and brainstorm what we need to get that. Yeah. Human park for the win! Uh, just the fact that, um, you know, open my eyes up to, you know, it's a problem that people feeling disconnected and that connection needs to happen instead of, you know, treating them as a bad person and giving them more love. So, yeah. Um, probably what I've learnt most tonight is um, it's changed my mind a little bit in the way I think about legalising and um, the criminal aspects of drug use. 
it's had an impact. Um, so I suppose uh, probably the biggest takeaway is just that thing around that we're all kind of fighting the same good fight, both sides, all working towards the same thing. Um, and just, yeah, really understanding that and... Um, I guess not throwing dirt at one another, trying to work out how we can yeah, educate and, and realise those same goals. I guess people who are not on board with the harm reduction movement about making sure that we realise that we have the same goals as them and it's not about like demonising them or having an enemy but making sure that we try to actually approach them in a way where we realise we have the same goal and to try and say, hey, that's not working but here's our evidence-based approach and yeah. And that last point was um, the point I was making at the start of those Vox Pops from Thursday night after the Johan Hara gig at Melbourne Town Hall. Um, he made a point uh, during the middle of his uh, speech, which uh, that uh, lady alluded to, um, about finding the common ground. And, and uh, you know, I've been reminded a lot of the, the word that I used to hear all the time when I was um, sort of first going into uni just after high school, I used to hear solidarity all the time. And now I'm wondering where that's gone sometimes when I listen to uh, people that I thought were progressive allies when it's all it seems to be focused too much on division uh, and division with good intention to try and drive understanding, but ultimately without that sort of strategic backbone to actually bring people on board. Um, and it can be difficult because, yeah, uh, anyway, so solidarity <laughs> with everyone. Um this is in Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. Uh, here in the studio with uh, Ash Blackwell and um, Jared Bartlett. Bartle. Bartle. <laughs> it says so Bartlett close. on your Facebook, doesn't it? it yeah, yeah, I have a... Yes. Yeah, 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 well, well, you now revealed my actual yeah. Facebook. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Uh, and Jared is running as a candidate in the November state election for uh, Albert Park for the Reason Party. Um, and, but right now we want to talk about a specific issue that's yes. been coming up. Um, tell us about Amyl so, Nitrite. Well, it's been an interesting start to my campaign. So I launched my campaign on Monday and I've spent the entire week basically talking about anal sex. <laughs> um, because there has been an interim decision made by the TGA, uh, TGA, the, um, the Therapeutic Goods Administration, the regulator of, of uh, drugs in Australia. Um, and that interim decision has reclassified a broad category of uh, chemicals known as alkyl nitrites as uh, Schedule 9 prohibited substances. So alongside alongside heroin, heroin and you know, ice. And, yeah. These are drugs that, that, that um, the conclusion is that they serve no therapeutic benefit whatsoever and they should, they should just be outright prohibited. Now, alcohol nitrites, particularly amyl nitrite, is used recreationally amongst uh, gay and bisexual men, um, as well as heterosexual people, I imagine, but, but predominantly amongst gay and bisexual men to ease anal sex. It's a smooth muscle relaxant. It assists in that. It can decrease uh, injuries as a result of anal sex. Um, and it is it's prevalent amongst um, gay and bisexual men. So uh, there was a recent survey, the Flux survey, which found that a third of gay and bisexual men had used amyl nitrite within the last six months. Okay, So it's very, very high prevalence rates. My biggest concern with this rescheduling to a Schedule 9 is its flow-on effects uh, to, to state uh, criminal penalties. Um, and I believe we have a guest who could speak a bit more about that. Yeah, on the line we have Dan Readers, who's a PhD researcher studying the regulation and governance of health issues. And he also has a blog called Bad Blood about the stigma and public health. Welcome to the show, Dan. 
Thank you. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about how the TGA works and how this has kind of come about? Yeah, so what we've seen with this particular decision is uh, a group of ophthalmologists who uh, don't have any particular expertise in gay men's cultures and use of drugs, but they have seen a handful of cases where people have used poppers and experienced uh, damage to their vision, um, and they've said, oh, look, hang on, uh, this is currently scheduled under Schedule 4, um, and we should move it to Schedule 9 um, on the basis of these adverse events that, that we're seeing. Um, and the, the history of that's really interesting. The, the current chemical that's used in most Popper's products was only adopted as a result of really similar regulatory action in the past associated uh, or on the basis of, again, uh, a small number of adverse incidents that had been detected by specialists. So what, what we're seeing here is a focus on the seriousness of the harm, but not any kind of effort to assess how probable the harm is, so how common these kinds of incidents mm. are. And they don't seem to acknowledge either that there's, you know, there's a sexual use for this, that that could actually have a therapeutic benefit in itself, it seems. Right. And in fact, they kind of identified that as in the interim reasons for decision. They actually identified that as a risk. So mm. they have to, uh, to consider what are the risks associated with the chemical. And they identify um, analgesic and euphoric and muscle relaxant effects as the risk of amyl use, which is a really odd way of looking at it. It's bizarre. Is, is, is there any indication of why they've taken that approach? Is, are they just a conservative uh, institution? Yeah, or? It's, it's genuinely hard to prove that there are harms associated with amyl. So we know that amyl use is extremely common. Mm. Um, in the literature, we've only seen isolated case reports and a couple of case series. So there's never actually been a systematic review or any kind of prospective study. And they're the kind of high-quality evidence that we would be looking for in order to make a decision on this kind of risk. So you mentioned before about um, the, a previous inquiry helping to develop, I think it was either the scheduling or the ingredients of the current animals that are used. Could you explain a little bit more about that? I'm not quite sure I fully followed. Yeah, for sure. So uh, that was a decision by the EU. The EU banned uh, one of the major ingredients used in amyl, a, a chemical called isobutyl nitrite. Um, there was a, a study that suggested maybe it had an association with cancers in gay men. So on that basis, they said, right, we're going to ban this one chemical. What happened, and this is my concern with the TGA proposal more generally, is that that drove uh, product substitution. So mm. animal manufacturers switched to a different chemical called isopropyl nitrate. And it wasn't until that switch that we actually saw cases involving retinal damage. So the, the evidence that's being used in this case to justify regulation um, only really came about as a result of earlier regulatory action driving that product substitution. 
Well, we should probably mention here that there's there's five kinds of alkyl nitrites that are scheduled by the TGA, which is amyl nitrite, butyl nitrite, isoamyl, isobutyl, and I think isopropyl, although I might be wrong on that, Dan. That's the yep, five? Yep, that's right. the five. So, and, and they weren't, um, I don't think they were all scheduled at once. I think they were added along the way as this happened. So this is a very common pattern in um, in drug regulation where something uh, is relatively available. Uh, it gets picked up by the market, by a sort of grey market. It's not unavailable. Uh, oh, sorry, it's not, not prohibited directly. So stores uh, like adult stores, kink stores, etc., uh, we'll, we'll start selling it, the amyl nitrite, mm. and then uh, government, or usually media comes along and blows something up and goes, blah, 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 and then the government goes, we better do something about this, and they ban it, and then another one uh, comes along, to, because the, the demand is still there. Yeah. Demand doesn't disappear just because the, you know, TGA goes, oh, you can't have that anymore. Uh, usually people just go, oh, there's got to be something similar, but often this, always, this leads to um, more chemicals that we know less about coming out and potentially more damaging chemicals not all the time the real problem is that we don't have a lot of data mm. um and as dan uh, mentioned there is now a bit of data on the isopropyl uh, isopropyl nitrite um suggesting that it might not you know it might be the cause of this problem of the the um eye nerve damage and it, it, this this idea that that it wasn't even considered that you know if we know that um, this is used amongst gay and bisexual men to assist with sex, the fact that that either either wasn't considered or the effects that seem to facilitate sex were just viewed as a negative. Um, how I don't know how that can come about if you are a large regulator that you are not aware. I mean, actually, no, sorry. One of the reasons for this decision is because they were aware that this was being used recreationally. So I'm not sure how they haven't taken that into account more. So... Yeah, it's so... Oh, you I go on, Dan. I on that one. Yeah. Mm. Uh, this is kind of produced by the structure of the TGA. So if this was considered a therapeutic good, then there would need to be an application showing that the particular poppers products that are on the market are, are actually safe to use. Mm. Um, in the absence of treating it as a therapeutic good, then they have to treat it as a poison. And if you treat it as a poison, then you don't typically think about what the therapeutic uses of that poison might be. Um, the really interesting thing, though, for me, is that... Uh, People also use alcohol for all the same purposes that the TGA identified, so as a muscle relaxant, as a euphoric agent, um, as an analgesic sometimes. And uh, so there are these kind of illicit drugs available um, whose risks are in some cases a lot more serious than those for ammo. So mm. you need to use a lot of alcohol to get the same effect, and that produces its own risks in terms of contraception terms of HIV prevention. Mm. Um, other illicit chemicals like Viagra actually have the same risk of eye damage. Um, in terms of deaths, caffeine actually outnumbers amyl in terms of its um, potential for fatalities. Mm. So that it really shows to me that those distinctions that the TGA is relying on between therapeutic goods, illicit drugs and poisons are completely incoherent. Do you think there's an element um, from the 
TGA here because I mean this is not the first time this has happened um, where uh, scheduling sort of moves ahead without any consideration for uh, people using products for reasons other than to maintain a 100% optimum health level at all times which let's face it none of us do that everyone's uh, gone out and eaten something they shouldn't or done something that maybe wasn't the best idea at the time but you had a good time there were other reasons we're not always running by the same factor to maintain this machine so that we may march on forward for as long as possible and be productive workers that is not you know that's not why we're here do, do you think there's an element of um <laughs> of um oh, what's the word the uh when you just pu- paternalism pu- pu- puritanism oh, puritanism. Actually. Yeah. yeah is this a bit like uh no uh, fun is not a good reason there are no other reasons other than to maintain optimal presence on this planet <laughs> Yeah, I would totally agree with that. That's kind of not part of their remit to consider um, what the potential benefits or what therapeutic uses might be. Um, the other kind of consideration there is um, it's a really key principle in regulation that you use the most minimal means available to you that will actually do the job. Mm. So in this case, they have identified, oh, there's a risk that children might get access to it or that people might use too much and end up in hospital. And all of those risks could be dealt with through things like labelling, through educational messages, through restrictions at point of sale. There's absolutely no reason to expose upwards of 90,000 gay and bisexual men in Australia to the risk of imprisonment Mm. um, for two years in some states and as much as five years in some of the territories. Mm. So with the TGA then, I mean, the the TGA isn't the highest authoritative body in in the country. So how how does the government sort of regulate the TGA? Like what, how can they be involved in this process? Like presumably the government could tell the TGA to, to act in a certain way? How does that, does that side of things work? So, uh, the TGA, this particular committee, makes a decision on behalf of the Secretary, I think it's the Secretary of the Department of Health. So this, we can absolutely lobby the Secretary to consider a wider range of experts to consult with communities before making this decision. Um, the other thing, I uh, wasn't aware that Jared is actually running in Albert Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we should be talking to the Victorian government as well because, as Jared pointed out, uh, the TGA kind of, they put chemicals on this list, Schedule 9 of the poison standard, but laws that actually make it illegal to supply or possess those chemicals, they're actually state and territory laws. Yeah. Uh, states and territories, yeah, if they don't want to go ahead with this, then they can actually decline to enforce it or include exemptions against it. And yeah, that, 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 that's something that I'm trying to encourage people to do um, in terms of, yeah, contacting uh, Victorian government in terms of, because it is a confusing system. And I think people, um, I was it had an interview earlier this week and there there was a bit of confusion because they thought it was just a federal matter. Um, but no, the, the poison standard sets the standard that's then implemented in each state and territory. So if you are wanting to advocate in this area, that is one avenue. Um, I just wanted to ask you, Dan, I I know you've um, encouraged people to put in submissions to the interim decision. Given what you know about the, the TGA, is, is there a certain way that you need to, to slant those 
submissions for them to be more effective or for them to be translated to uh, what the TGA requires? Yeah, that's a really good question. The TGA uh, is a really technical body, so they're going to want to see evidence. They're going to want to see numbers if we can get them from studies. Mm. Um, I am on my blog. Uh, I've published a kind of initial draft of a submission that I'm planning to put in. I've also included a link to a Google document that lists some of the messages that might actually work for the TGA and the evidence that actually backs those messages up. So I I think the TGA strategy needs to be kind of a bit more technical, uh, but in, in our advocacy to government, we should absolutely be talking about uh, the personal impact, the cultural impact, the fact that our that gay and bisexual communities are historically criminalised and marginalised. All of those things are really powerful advocacy messages for talking to government. And um, should we uh, mention the uh, petition? There is a petition as well uh, mm-hmm. on change.org um, that you can get onto. But, I mean, as Dan and Jared have been saying, the best thing to do, if you can, is to make a direct submission to the TGA. I think all fronts is probably going to be good. I mm-hmm. think, you know, make a submission to the TGA, speak to your local MP at a both, I mean, a state and federal level. The, the good thing about this in some ways is that it does encompass all areas of government and in some ways... It means that you can advocate at all areas of, of government. Um, and I, I have seen Dan's blog post and I have seen that, that template that he's put up and I think that's a very helpful helpful resource as well. And there is a link to Dan's podcast in the uh, petition, um, which I'm posting up to the Facebook page for Encyclopedia, so you can go and check that out. Uh, read Dan's blog post. There's a bit more information there about the uh, media that's been surrounding this uh, so far. Um, but, uh, yeah... Uh, as we said before, it's not the first time that uh, TGA has made decisions like this. We're, oh, before um, we were on air, we were just talking about um, the fairly recent decision about rescheduling, uh, amending the schedule to move nicotine for e-cigarette um, uh, e-cigarettes to a different to Schedule Four. I think I think they were trying to move it from yeah. wherever it is to. So I think there was there was a, an amendment put forward by the New Nicotine Alliance, I believe, um, to to allow for uh, vape products to contain nicotine in small quantities um, and that unfortunately didn't 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 get up and then even a few months before that there was a, a, a petition uh, sorry not a petition a, a, a request to amend the schedule around DMT uh, and this was coming from some of the uh, sort of spiritual practitioners uh, wanting to reschedule it uh, so that it could be accessed in certain amounts for certain kinds of practices and again that was not that was knocked back um, with very little evidence on why it was knocked back. It was more a sort of like a, we don't see what's healthy or therapeutic about this, and because we don't, then we're not going to to regulate it. So the the TGA is fairly consistent in its uh, inability to deal with these sorts of substances. We'll also mention alcohol and tobacco are not scheduled by the TGA. Nicotine is scheduled by the TGA in three different places. It's in three different schedules for different um, reasons. But alcohol and tobacco are completely outside of this. And this is something I just want to make this point really clearly for a second here. Alcohol and tobacco have their own separate legislation across this country. Each of them has its own legislation for the way that it's distributed, for the way that it's manufactured, for the way uh, that it's handled, etc, etc. And it means that they kind of get um, special license in a lot of ways. They can do all sorts of things in a very different way than the 250 plus 
chemicals uh, that are on Schedule 9 of the TGA's um, schedules, which is the prohibited schedule. This, there, to, to claim consistency, to claim scientific consistency, and to have these two pieces of legislation sitting there allowing for the sale of alcohol like that is, is ridiculous. And I think what we need to do is not go down the prohibition road, as some are suggesting with tobacco at the moment, uh, but to accept that uh, it's not the government's decision how we live our lives. Of course, we should be able to get good information on what's out there uh, and the the risks associated. But in, in the end, when it comes to making that decision, we should be able to decide that for ourselves. So there's a couple of uh, things that, you know, for me, who's not kind of part of the, the gay bisexual scene, so this is some of this is somewhat new to me there's a couple Welcome. of predictable <laughs> there's a couple of predictable things here so first of all people are going to stock up and mm. some of those people that are going to stock up are going to stock up enough that they can sell on sell in, in a future environment where um you know this may become prohibited y- you'll get the substitution factor that you were talking about earlier dan where um presumably there might be some other chemical that could create a similar effect and that may be sold through retail stores and um well, I guess they're two of the, the the main effects. Are there any others that I'm that I'm missing, Jared or Daniel? I mean, the, yeah, there's. Yeah, sorry, there is there is one, um, and that's the the fact that putting amyl in the same category as GHB and crystal methamphetamine actually reduces one of the major barriers to uptake of those drugs. So um, we know that gay and bisexual men use amyl and those other two drugs to enable them to have the kinds of sex that they want to have. So uh, if you actually remove that legality gradient, if you um, remove that initial barrier to engaging with the black market to obtain those drugs, then what we might see is there are kind of product substitution to illicit drugs that have uh, different implications for acquiring HIV and for the HIV epidemic. So there are kind of um, some unknown public health implications here that the TGA really should have considered and I would argue needs to consider before it makes this decision. We are just about out of time now, so we'll have to wrap it up there, unfortunately. Um, There is probably more that we could have uh, talked about on that, but thank you uh, to our guests, Dan and Jared, uh, for bringing us up to date on the alkyl nitrite rescheduling. Thank you. No worries. Thank you. Thanks. And, yes, just about out of time. Before we finish up, uh, Yarra Drug Health Forum AGM is this Wednesday from 2 till 4 p.m. at uh, the Richmond Town Hall with Mr Gino Van Booker from Harm Reduction Australia talking about the pill testing uh, story, uh, the pill testing success story uh, from Groove in the Moo. Uh, and if you uh, want to get along to that, you, it's free, so you can just go along uh, and um, you can also, I think, vote, I guess. Do you have to be a member? I don't know. You shouldn't have to be a member. But also Tony Trimmingham (laughs) will be their CEO of Family Drug Support uh, talking about saving lives, his son's story, uh, who passed away a number of years ago, I think in the 90s, uh, late 90s. Yeah, anyway, he'll he'll be talking about um, his story and why it might be time to consider prescribing heroin which might sound like a shocking idea, but they do it in some of these uh, really uh, conservative, um, basically socialist 
<laughs> European countries in uh, Sweden, Switzerland, Sweden? Switzerland, Switzerland, Switzerland. Uh, they also do it in the Netherlands, and in the past they've done it in the UK. And there's been a trial in Canada as well, I think. Yes, there has. Um, thank you very much uh, to everyone who was on the show. Queer and Ear up next, uh, and please enjoy the rest of your Sunday afternoon. See you later. This is in psychedelia. Comments, complaints, or contributions are welcome. Jump on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au, and head to the Encyclopedia program page. Get in contact with us on Facebook or Twitter, or send us an email. Encyclopedia does not condone or condemn people who use. This has been a 3CR podcast. You can hear Encyclopedia live every Sunday from 2 p.m. Head to 3cr.org.au for more.